We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. The Oracle Network. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going. Tired. It's a sleepy, cold day. The sun's out, but that means nothing in winter. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm currently recovering from a cold, so I'm like... Yeah, extra sleepy. Everybody's like, don't you want to just not for like four days? Don't you just want to sleep for a while? I do. You're right. <laughs> Maybe I should take a nap later. You definitely should. So we are now entering February. We have mm-hmm. left joyful January. Bye. Bye. Ooh. What? But this means it's mom's episode, isn't it? It is mom's episode. Oh, man. Mom. Man. Me. This one is not, it's not that bad. Next week, it's going to mess you up. But Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to ease us into the month of murder, apparently. So. <laughs> February's murder and mayhem. Everybody's tired of winter. <sighs> Burn it down. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, murder. So today, we're going to be talking about the Tower of London. That checks out. That's a very mom-like story. It's got it all. Royals, ghosts, murder, probably mold. Murder. Lots of murder, yeah. Ghosts. <laughs> Do you get into the ghosts? Are you going to talk about ghosts? A little bit towards the end, yeah. Oh my god, yay! Okay. All right. Thanks, so, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even know. I just kind of picked it for her. Nice. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2018history.com article, 2014 live science article by Owen Jarris, three Atlas Obscura articles, a Britannica article, two articles from the Tower of London website, and Wikipedia. Nice. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. We've talked in the past about our very, very distant connections to the royal family. And today, in honor of mom's birthday, I'm going to share the history of the tower itself, as well as touch on a few brief stories of the tower and address the numerous prisoners that were held and ultimately died at the tower. Yeah. It, isn't it kind of implied that if you were going to the Tower of London, you were definitely going to die? I would say nine times out of ten, yes. Yeah. There really wasn't much chance that you'd be able to get back out. Yeah. There were rare instances, but yes, you're right. Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> womp womp. Okay, so to kick it off... William the Conqueror had a massive stone fortress built in London in the 1070s, following his conquest of London in 1066. This mighty castle was not only going to defend the royal family, but was built to strike fear and awe into the hearts and minds of his enemies. I, I get it, but at the same time, I can't imagine another king would be like, Oh my god, that building! It's just so intimidating! Why is it so what? I'll never get into the fortress. Never, ever. 
The Tower of London today consists of several towers and structures originally built to protect London. The first structure, the White Tower, was completed in 1100 during the reign of King William II, a.k.a. William the Conqueror. The tower was designed by masons from Normandy, specifically Gundolf of Rochester, who was a Norman bishop responsible for the construction not only of the White Tower, but of the priory and cathedral church in his hometown. Oh my gosh, so Architect Digest would totally do a story on him. They'd be like, Gundolf, tell us everything. You are a genius. He'd be like, and you didn't get murdered after you built it. Congratulations. Kudos (laughs) to you. They didn't turn on you immediately after you designed it. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Way to go. The White Tower was constructed using white limestone brought from Cain in northwestern France and a stone locally known as Kentish Ragstone. I just think it's kind of funny that they were picky about the stone. Like yeah. He was like, I want this to be intimidating and strike fear in my enemies, but like, I really want it to be white. Like, can it I just... Want it, I want it to be pretty. Can it just be like white? I want it to be pretty and intimidating. Yeah, you just need to be able to see it in the dark, you know? And like, mm-hmm. we don't have marble, so... <laughs> Lime it is. (laughs) The limiest of the stones. Nice. It took Englishmen 20 years to build the impressive fortress. That is way too long. Mm -hmm. The tower has been expanded upon throughout history, such as during the reigns of Henry III and Edward I, who added defensive walls with a series of smaller towers, as well as enlarged the moat that surrounds the structure. What stone did they use for those? Or did they not care? It didn't say. That's so sad. You can tell that the attention to detail clearly fell off. William the the second was the only one that really cared. He's like, I want the best of stone. Yeah. From northwestern France. He's like, listen, you can be intimidating and fabulous. And our enemies need to know that. Why not both? (laughs) Aggressive. Uh, what's that show? Uh, aggressive Queer Eye. <laughs> queer Eye with a side of murder. <laughs> Conquering. We're aggressive and fierce. We're fierce in more ways than one. Exactly. Way to go, William. You go, Glenn Coco. The wardrobe tower, which today is home to the crown jewels, was commissioned in 1190 and completed in 1199. So only nine I mean? years. What, hey. get going a little bit quicker. Yeah, and like wardrobe, we're... we're We're keeping with the theme of nice things. Mm -hmm. Again, we're going back. The wardrobe tower started as a safe house for royal treasures in 1303, after several riches were stolen from the Abbey of St. Peter at Westminster. Ooh. Yeah. What was taken, do you know? I don't know, but I'm assuming it must have been pretty important if they were like, we need to buy, we need to use a new tower to store all of our riches in. (laughs) Right. You know what? Can't trust the church anymore. The murder one. (laughs) No, this is the wardrobe tower. This is completely separate from the murder tower. But it's adjacent. It's a part of the murder complex. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. It's like the clubhouse inside the the complex. This is where we keep all our jewels. This is where we keep our treasure. Our treasure. A new jewel house was built on the south side of the White Tower in 1508. Many of the royal regalia were destroyed in the mid-17th century. The oldest surviving piece is a 12th century gold anointing spoon used to anoint the sovereign with holy oil. That's 
It's a nice spoon. I know. It's a good spoon. An anointing spoon. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's it, the it only just thing puts that the survived. Just right. It's literally the only thing that's. <laughs> it's the oldest surviving piece from that long ago, from the 12th century. Yeah. That's so funny. Like, listen, we put the treasure where it needed to go. Didn't work. But at least we have the spoon. <laughs> at least the spoon survived. Thank God. (laughs) Spoon. (laughs) (laughs) The holiest of the anointing spoons. There are also three steel coronation swords. The swords of temporal justice, of spiritual justice, and the sword of mercy. And there are also several impressive suits of armor that are also held in the wardrobe tower. The mercy sword gives me pause. Yeah, I I don't I know what each of them mean. It's supposed to be like the tap, like tap, tap, shoulder, forehead. And then yeah. the spoon touches you, and then you're like, fine. And then you're magically a sovereign. Yep. Congratulations. You did it. <laughs> you did it. 1190 was also the year the bell tower was built, the top Ooh. of which held a bell that would be rung in times of emergency, such as if the castle was under attack or on fire. Do we know how long this took to build? The structure was completed in 1210, so it took 20 years. They really need, like, come on, man. They probably had to make the bell. You know what I mean? But like 20 years to make a bell? Who knows what kind of stone they used for this tower? Maybe they went back to getting the fancy stuff from France. I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure it's written down somewhere on the internet, but I just didn't find it. I'm sure somewhere someone's like, I know what all the stones are that the Tower of London is constructed of. And they're screaming into the void at me right now. Yep. I can feel the corrections cubby coming on. I get like a long list. These are the materials that X Tower was made out of. Right. These are the weapon or these are the tools they used. Yep. This is the type of wood that they used. (laughs) Fun fact, they didn't have glue, so... (laughs) (laughs) Ten years after the bell tower's completion, King Henry III had the Wakefield and the Lanthorn Towers built. The Lanthorn Tower had a lantern installed at the top to guide ships in the River Thames and the Port of London. Was it kind of the first lighthouse then? Kind of, yeah. One of the first iterations of a lighthouse? Yeah. Just like a really shitty one because it's just a a single lantern. (laughs) I'm sure it's a giant lantern. (laughs) Did that take 20 years too? I don't know how long it took. God damn it. (laughs) I'm going to say yes, just to be spiteful. (laughs) The tower would later become England's largest and strongest concentric castle, which means it's one ring of defense nested inside another ring. So it's it's kind of like a a Russian nesting doll of of like walls and towers. Nice. So the inner curtain is home to 13 towers, including the Bloody Tower, Beauchamp Tower, and the Wakefield Tower. And the outer curtain is surrounded by the moat. The tower became home to many royals until the 17th century and became a place of refuge for kings and queens in times of trouble. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Weapons and armor were also made and stored at the tower until the 1800s. So it was kind of like a first iteration of of like a fort. Yep. Almost. Mm -hmm. Like a bunker. Yep. (laughs) An above-ground bunker. A really nice above-ground bunker. Yeah. The White Tower is now occupied by armories, although the bulk of the collection was moved to a museum in Leeds in 1996. 
Today, the tower and its numerous structures are housed on 12 acres or 5 hectares of land. It also holds an arsenal and once had a public records office that is no longer on the property. Huh. I always get rid of the public. <laughs> People were like, as soon as tourists started showing up, they're like, no one cares about the public records office. Get that the hell out of here. All right. Or nobody who wants to deal with public records wants to go where tourists are. Yeah, they're like, God damn. No, we don't sell postcards in here. <laughs> you have to go to a different tower for that. The bloody tower. The bloody tower. Why are they so sticky? Fun fact. Over the years that the tower was used to protect the realm, its defenses only failed once. Ooh. In 1381, when rebels ran through the open gates during the peasants' revolt. <laughs> so just a bunch of peasants ran in? Yeah, because the gates were open. <laughs> was it... Was that during construction of something? I don't oh, know. It's probably the people just like showing up for work and they were like, hey, no, no. <laughs> Sneak attack. <laughs> just ran in. Okay. The nation's money was also made at the Tower Mint, starting when Edward I assumed the crown in the late 1210s and continued to be produced there through 1810. For 600 years, <laughs> they made what? money at the Tower of London. What must it be like to be like, you know what? I need to make my own money. And then everybody else is like, yeah, I'd use your money. And then you just start making it. Yeah. Oh, and it needs to have my face on it. Yeah. No, it's like, I'm, it's I'm my, an impressive it's, looking guy. It's my money. Like literally mine. Mine. Nobody t- <laughs> mine. The tower was home to numerous medieval royals. Luxurious apartments were built. They prayed at the royal chapel, and there was even a menagerie of exotic animals on the grounds until 1835. Rich people and their exotic animals. The menagerie, which included a number of animals that had been gifted to the numerous monarchs, was once home to lions, an ostrich, golden eagle, horned owl, bears, tigers, a raccoon, a leopard, baboon, and a polar bear. I'm so sorry, but if you were the raccoon, you'd be like, I clearly don't fit in. <laughs> <laughs> like, who who pawned me off as some exotic creature when I'm just, I'm just a moat panda. <laughs> what is this trash panda that we have here? He's nothing but trash, but he's really good about washing his little hands. <laughs> he washes the jewelry for them. He, he likes the- shiny things and he's good at washing. <laughs> he cleans the treasures. <laughs> That's all he does all day. He's the royal treasure cleaner. (laughs) I really want that on a t-shirt now. Oh my god! They gave him like a little like they gave him like a little sash with like a little coin that said like royal treasure cleaner. Yeah, and he's just like sitting by a river cleaning the (laughs) treasure at the Tower of London. The little basin. Please make that happen. We need that to be a t-shirt. Okay, I'll make that happen. I'm picturing Miko from Pocahontas. Yeah. Only a real raccoon, not a cartoon raccoon. Okay, anyway, moving on. There once was a royal palace south of the White Tower, and in the early 1500s, Henry VIII had the rooms updated ahead of Anne Boleyn's coronation in 1533. Ooh, foreshadowing. Unfortunately for Anne, three years later, she was held in the same room, only this time after being accused of adultery, treason, and incest before she was executed by sword on the Tower Green. And it took more than one hit. As a small mercy, Henry had her executed by a skilled French swordsman rather than an axeman. Yeah, bad choice, bad choice, bad choice. (laughs) 
Small mercy, my ass. <laughs> From the early 14th century until the reign of Charles II in the 1600s, processions would be led from the tower to Westminster Abbey for the coronation of a new monarch. So they would actually start their coronation procession from the Tower of London before they proceeded to the church. So it could still be kind of seen as something important. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of the royals did live at the tower. They didn't Mm. live like in the bloody tower, but they lived at the Tower of London. So it's like being picked up. Hey, I know this parade is for me. Can you come pick me up? (laughs) And then they're just like, why don't we just start it here? Exactly. Yeah. The tower is known as the setting for several royal tragedies and numerous deaths. In 1471, Henry VI was murdered during the Wars of the Roses while praying in the king's private chapel in the Wakefield Tower. Bummer. Just a few years later, in 1483, the infamous princes of his rival Edward IV would go missing. And found recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Edward V and Richard, Duke of York, the sons of King Edward IV, would have been next in line to inherit the throne following the death of their father in April of 1483. Their uncle, Richard III, who at that time was Prince Richard, Duke of Gloucester, took the boys into his custody in the White Tower after King Edward IV's death, and neither of the two princes were seen after 1484. Yeah. It's believed that Richard III had the boys murdered to cement his claim to the throne, and Titulus Regius, Regius? Something like that, had the boys declared as illegitimate and therefore unable to rule. In 1674, two skeletons were found and unearthed at the tower at what is now called Two Princes Staircase, and the bones were re-examined in 1933. The two were determined to belong to boys aged 12 and 10, which is the ages that the princes were at the time of their disappearance. We may never know for sure if the two skeletons do in fact belong to Edward V and Richard, Duke of York. They are currently reburied at Westminster Abbey, and although DNA testing is possible, the Church of England and the royal family have continually refused to allow their remains to be exhumed and tested. Why? I don't know. Because, like, what, what's it going to do? Yeah. The, the reputational damage has been done for thousands of <laughs> years. Yeah. Huh. Oh, hundreds of years. Hundreds of years at this point, Not yeah. Thousands, yeah. Yeah, the uncle was a dick, and everybody's known it for hundreds of years. So what's it going to hurt to confirm? Exactly. Science. Yeah. Let us do the science. The tower operated as a prison for over 800 years for men and women, with some staying there for mere days, while others languished there for several years. During the Tudor age, it was the most important prison in the country where anyone who posed a threat to the nation was sent. That checks out. The Tudors were The first prisoner of the tower, coincidentally, was also the first prisoner to escape. Ooh, did they also walk out of the gate? (laughs) The open gate? Kinda. In 1101, Ranulf Lambard, Bishop of Durham. That's a nice name. Right? Flambard? Flambard. Climbed through one of the windows of the White Tower using a rope that had been smuggled to him in a gallon of wine. He had been arrested under the orders of King Henry I after Ranulf had assassinated his brother William II. A bishop just killed a royal? Yep. That's not very 
godly of him. No. Ranulf had also been charged with committing simony, which is when you sell administrative positions in the church for money. Oh, so he's he's real good at being religious. Got it, got it, got yeah, it. Yeah, he's a great guy. Cool, cool, cool. Super pious. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Give me gold and I will give you jobs. <laughs> for those unlucky enough to find themselves sent to the tower for treason, they would find themselves entering via the famous Traitor's Gate. Originally called the Watergate, it was a route that King Edward I and other royals would take to access St. Thomas's Tower by water. At the time it was built in the 1270s along the River Thames, St. Thomas's Tower was the residence for the royal family. Okay. As the years progressed and the Tower of London became a prison for those accused of treason, prisoners were brought to the tower via water. The infamous gate was first christened Traitor's Gate in 1544. A number of well-known historical figures passed through the watery gate on their way to prison, such as Sir Walter Raleigh and Sir Thomas More. Thomas was beheaded following his refusal to recognize Henry VIII as head of the Church of England in 1535. Yep, remember that. Yeah. Due to where the gate was located along the Thames, prisoners would often pass under London Bridge, where until the late 17th century, the heads of prisoners who had been executed were publicly displayed on pikes beneath the bridge. Yeah, because why not? It really keeps, it keeps the birds happy so that yep. they leave the crops alone. All those pigeons. Keep all those pigeons happy. <laughs> the morning doves. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> Depending on who you were, you could expect a very different experience than that of your fellow convicts. If you were a wealthy and influential enemy of the state, you'd be kept in relative comfort, but would be unable to leave your room, for example. Scottish King John Balliol was able to bring his own servants, hunting dogs, and his wife during his three-year incarceration until he was sent into exile in France in 1299. So he essentially lived at the Radisson for three years. Yep, with his cool. wife. <laughs> no, no, wait, what's one of those, like, extended stay hotels? Yeah. It has a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> and a microwave. Other imprisoned nobility were even able to go out on hunts or shopping trips. You know, being a prisoner's hard, you know? So Gotta hard. Gotta find the right outfit for it. Yeah. However, those suspected or found guilty of treason, which included counterfeiting coins, uh -oh. suffered far worse. So, so we can mint coins at the Tower of London, but you can't mint your own. You have to, like, own the tower to mint your own. Correct. That's one of the stipulations. By the Tudor period, and I don't know why I put it in here not earlier, but the Tudor period was between 1485 and 1603. Mm -hmm. uh, the tower was the state prison of the country and noted as unbreakable after the first escape, obviously. Right. It's definitely more secure now. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we don't allow rope smuggling anymore. It's just one time. We check all the wine barrels. And the gates are closed, okay? Shut up. <laughs> I'd like to see you get past this moat. We've got an attack raccoon in the moat. It's fine. <laughs> when he's not washing coins, he's biting people. <laughs> he's biting ankles. He may or may not have rabies. We don't know. <laughs> the future Queen Elizabeth I, Lady Jane Grey, Sir Walter Raleigh, and his wife Elizabeth Throckmorton, and Guy Fawkes were all famously imprisoned in the Tower. It also held Scottish kings, 
French dukes, lords, ladies, archbishops, princes, princesses, as well as religious conspirators, politicians, and common thieves. So you weren't anyone, like you you were no a nobody unless you were imprisoned at the Tower of London. Pretty much. <laughs> This year's hottest club is Tower of London. <laughs> it's got everything. Hunting dogs, microwaves, raccoons that clean your jewelry. It's got it all. <laughs> Swords for beheading you. The secret word is treason. <laughs> As I mentioned, Queen Elizabeth I was imprisoned at the Tower by her half-sister, Queen Mary I, who was under the impression that the young royal, who at this time was 21, was plotting against her. Elizabeth arrived at the tower on March 17, 1554, and was held in the same apartments that her mother, Anne Boleyn, had been in prior to her beheading. Ooh, creepy. While imprisoned, Elizabeth suffered from severe psychological strain, but was released into house arrest on May 19, 1554, the anniversary of her mother's execution. Well, that's nice of them. They let her leave the day yeah. she died in that same house. Yep. Cool. There wasn't sufficient evidence to keep her in prison anymore. So they were like, we'll just keep you long enough to uh, release you on the significant date in your life. But also ensure that you have PTSD from this date twice yep. instead of just the once. Elizabeth would once again return to the tower in January of 1559 as she prepared for her coronation. <laughs> so on better terms, I guess. The Tower Green saw the execution of seven prisoners of which three of them were former queens of England, Anne Boleyn, Catherine Howard, and Lady Jane Grey. All married to the same man. Yep. Others include Jane Boleyn, Viscountess Rockford. She was Anne Boleyn's sister-in-law. Mm. Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury, who was a peeress in the House of Lords. So she was one of two women that were allowed to be part of the House of Lords. Okay. Robert Devereux, who was the second Earl of Essex. He was one of Queen Elizabeth I's favorites before he was mm -hmm. beheaded. Bummer. George Plantagenet, Duke of Clarence, was put to death at the Tower for high treason against his brother Edward IV. If the rumors are to be believed, he was drowned headfirst in a barrel of his favorite Malmsey wine. Not a bad way to go, I guess. I mean, at least you're choking on something you love, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> William Lord Hastings was beheaded in 1483 on the orders of Richard III, and Black Watch mutiny leaders Farquhar Shaw and cousins Samuel and Malcolm McPherson were shot at dawn on the green in front of their regiment in 1743. Oh, so was it what a typical thing is where there's like a wall and they face it and then they shoot him? I think it would, yeah, I think it would have been like that, like a death by firing squad type of thing. Yeah. Those not executed on Tower Green were publicly executed on Tower Hill. In fact, over 400 years, 112 prisoners would be executed publicly on Tower Hill. Yeah. I would not want to go hiking on that hill. <laughs> no. So Tower Green was really only reserved for like super, super royal people or people of significant social status because there were only seven people that were ever executed on Tower Green. Okay. Guy Fawkes was interrogated in November 1605 after he was discovered in the cellars beneath Parliament, surrounded by barrels of gunpowder. You know, casual. Casual. 
Oh, this? Just... I'm hoping it'll turn into wine. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get my things wrong? Fox was part of a group that intended to assassinate James I during the state opening of Parliament in what is now known as the Gunpowder Plot. He was later imprisoned and tortured in the Queen's House at the Tower of London. Bummer. Venetian ambassador Niccolo Molin noted of Fox torture at the tower, quote, For two successive days, he underwent the most excruciating torture without saying anything, except that the conspirators were 12 in number, whose names he would not mention, end quote. Yeah, I can imagine they did some pretty nasty things. Fox and others who were arrested for this plot were hanged, drawn and quartered, and then their remains were displayed throughout London as a macabre warning to others. Yeah, I'd rather be hanged. As I just alluded, torture was used at the Tower of London, but not as often as you might think. In fact, only a small number of cases were recorded between the 16th and 17th centuries. Torture was primarily used as a form of interrogation, and sometimes even just the mention of being tortured was enough to get prisoners to talk. Yeah, I bet. The main torture instrument at the tower was the rack. Oh, no. Victims would be laid on their backs and ropes would be attached to their hands and feet. Mm -hmm. The ropes would slowly be pulled until the information they wanted was given or until the prisoner perished. Yeah. The only woman ever to be tortured at the tower was a woman named Anne Askew, who was imprisoned during the 16th century. 25-year-old Anne stood accused of being a Protestant heretic, and when she refused to name others who shared her faith, she was repeatedly racked. She had to be carried to the stake on which she was burnt as she was unable to walk after enduring so much torture. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. She is quoted as saying, quote, And because I lay still and did not cry, my Lord Chancellor and Master Rich took pains to rack me with their own hands till I was nigh dead. The lieutenant caused me to be loosed from the rack. Incontinently, I swooned, and they recovered me again, end quote. John Gerard, a Jesuit imprisoned at the tower in 1594, was later able to escape and tell of the tortures he suffered in the basement of the White Tower. Quote, then they put my wrists into iron gauntlets and ordered me to climb two or three wicker steps. My arms were then lifted up and an iron bar was passed through the rings of one gauntlet then through the staple and rings of the second gauntlet. This done, they fastened the bar with a pin to prevent it slipping, and then removing the wicker steps, they left me hanging by my hands and arms fastened above my head. End quote. Mm -hmm. Another form of torture was the scavenger's daughter, which was invented during the reign of King Henry VIII. Of course. It was an A-frame shaped metal rack that had a spot where the head would be strapped at the top, the hands at the midpoint, and the legs at the bottom part of the A. So they'd be kind of like split Mm -hmm. wider apart. There was a hinge at the top of the A-frame that allowed the rack to be folded, which would swing the head down and force the knees up, compressing the body to force blood from the nose and ears. Awesome. It was used on Irishman Thomas Mia. It's spelled M-I-A-G-H. I don't know how to say that. Thomas Mee? We'll, we'll go with that. Who was charged with contacting rebels in Ireland. Thomas Cottam, an English Catholic priest, suffered its use twice before he was released. He would later be executed by Queen Elizabeth I. Priest Luke Kirby was the last recorded person to be tortured with the scavenger's daughter on December 10, 1580. 
Others executed at the tower include Sir Simon Burley, who was an advisor and tutor for Richard II that died in 1388. Statesman Edmund Dudley was executed in 1510. And Lord Guilford Dudley, who was Lady Jane Grey's husband, was executed in 1554, the same year as his wife. Mm. The Chapel Royal of St. Peter ad Vincula is the final resting place for some of the most famous tower prisoners. Three were former queens of Henry VIII who were accused of adultery and treason and executed on the grounds. Lady Jane Grey was executed for high treason in 1554 after being an unfortunate participant in a plot to remove Mary I from power. Lady Jane was 17 at the time of her death. Yeah. She had been queen for like six days. It wasn't until 1876, when the chapel was being restored, that the beheaded remains of the queens were discovered and reinterred under a marble pavement with proper memorials for each. They'd all basically just been like thrown in a pit and they didn't have any memorials. That makes sense. Uh, Henry VIII was a pretty bitter dude, so. Yep. As you can imagine, the tower is home to a number of hauntings. Mm Mm-hmm. It's been a tourist attraction since the 18th century, and the number of visitors started to dramatically increase in the 1800s. Of the ghosts that haunt the grounds, Anne Boleyn supposedly stalks the Tower Green near where she was executed, and two smaller ghosts that are believed to be the princes can be found near where their bodies were discovered. That's really sad. Yeah. Arbella Stewart, who is the cousin of Elizabeth I, supposedly frequents the Queen's house long after her death. She starved to death at the tower while under arrest for marrying without royal permission. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. What a great reason to die. Yep. The armory of the White Tower is home to the thick wooden block and executioner's axe that had once been used to execute high-profile prisoners. Beheading by axe or sword was considered in England to be one of the most humane deaths possible, Mm -hmm. which meant that this type of execution was reserved for those of noble birth. The axe that is on display at the tower was last used in 1747 for the execution of Scottish baron and Jacobite leader Lord Simon Fraser of Lovat. Fraser, who was a Highlander, had been captured following his surrender after fighting against the Hanoverian Hanoverian forces during the Battle of Culloden. He was sentenced to death for treason and imprisoned at the Tower of London. Frazier apparently kept his morbid sense of humor, as it said that while on the public platform waiting to be executed, he mocked the executioner and laughed after a wooden viewing stand collapsed, killing nine spectators who had gathered to laugh at his own death. Oh, shit. Today, the outer archway of Traitor's Gate has been bricked up due to the rising water levels and has been since the mid-19th century. It is still clearly labeled for anyone looking across the river. And before we close, I need to mention the ravens that live at the tower and are cared for by the Yaman Warder Raven Master. Legend states that the tower, and by extension the monarchy, will fall if the six ravens that are always in residence ever leave the fortress. Hmm. Charles II was the first monarch to ensure that the ravens were protected. Today, the Tower of London is one of the most famous castles in the world and a World Heritage Site as of 1988 that brings in more than 2 million visitors a year. Or that was like pre-COVID numbers. I don't know if the numbers are different now. Probably, but probably not as damaged as other places, I would imagine. Yeah. Being like open air and relatively easy to space out. Yeah. 
So that is the Tower of London. Wow. What a terrible place. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Best thing that came out of it was that raccoon. (laughs) (laughs) That poor raccoon. This is surrounded by bears and lions and tigers and an ostrich. Like the ostrich I would have, I would be the most afraid of, honestly. Those things are scary. They're terrifying. Are you fascinated by true crime like us? If so, check out our podcast, Crime Divers, hosted by me, Jill. And me, Laura. Look out for new episodes every Tuesday when we discuss true crime from around the world. So what are you waiting for? Come join us as we dive in. And this week's podcast plug is the Crime Divers podcast. Join Scottish sisters Gil and Laura as they mostly tell each other true crime cases the other hasn't heard of. Nice. They cover missing persons cases, stories of family annihilators, unsolved murders, paranormal stories, and historical crimes. Awesome. Their episodes are anywhere between 30 to 60 minutes, and they're all done very well. So it's a great listen, and I highly encourage you to check them out. Awesome. And this week's listener question comes from John from the Dumbfound Dead and Reddit on Wiki podcasts. And he wants to know, what do you think is considered classy pre-1900s, but is now trashy in the 2020s? Ooh, lacy undergarments, potentially? Potentially? Because I don't know. I feel like lace nowadays, you think of it as like something sexy or wedding. You don't really see it as anything else. What else? Corsets? Yeah, I suppose corsets. Because people make fun of like waist trainers and stuff. Yeah. They think it's it's less classy if you have a waist trainer or a corset on, whereas that was something that was necessary Mm -hmm. to look to look well in society. Yeah, that was like a part of your everyday ensemble. Mm -hmm. And now people wear like a Wonder Woman styled one in front of them (laughs) on top of their Legging. Hashtag fit life. Get fit. Hashtag swole. Hmm. That's my answer. Okay. Corsets. Trying to think. Could do like men's facial hair. Mutton chops and stuff. Well, like I was thinking, you know, how they used to carry around like in the Wild West and stuff, like fancy pistols. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd have like the really nice handles and stuff. Like they have these like really fancy guns. Mm-hmm. Whereas now... I mean, it's pretty trashy if you just walk around with a gun, unless you're like a police officer or something, like unless it's part of your job to carry well, a gun mean, around to like. It's it's trashy to have a gaudy gun. I just think it's trashy to have a gun in general, like on your person <laughs> at all times, like unless it's required for your job. But I that's suppose. just but that's just me. Yeah. That's like it'd be a very inciting statement that I just made. <laughs> but Sorry about it. <laughs> so on that note, what's something good you'd like to share? Something good. We finally, finally, finally got like a cabinet countertop like set up an additional one for our kitchen. Nice. So now I have a place to store all my pantry items and all my pots and pans. And it, I can put the toaster, the coffee maker, and the crock pot and the ninja foodie all in that one spot. So the only thing that'll be on my countertop will be the microwave. Nice. So I'll actually have countertop space, which I won't know what to do with. But we got it in the house, and I've been working later, so I haven't zhuzhed it up and installed everything. But we're going to do that today so that when we get groceries tomorrow, we can just put everything in there, and it'll be good to go. So Nice. 
I'm very happy with it. I think it's it looks nice and what'll be it's it's actually it's for tools. Like it's a tool bench, a mm. workbench. Yeah. So once we move out and buy a house, Mike will have a really nice tool bench there you for go. the garage. So we were like, hey, okay, the longevity is there. We'll be able to use it for a long time. So there you go. And it's like plugins and stuff and a LED light that's rechargeable. So it's pretty nice. solid. Yeah. What about you? What's something good? Um, we got to go out and get ramen today. I was wondering if you were going to say it because like that's a very, it's it's not something you can do all the time mm-hmm. based on where you live. It's like a special treat and it was really good. Nice. I love ramen. I know you do. Did it feel good after having a cold? Mm-hmm. Get some nice ramen. Mm-hmm. What kind did you get? I got the Niku Soba ramen with like the shredded charshu nice. and it's just really good. Did you have any of the steam buns? I didn't, but I got some shrimp shumai, which are like little shrimp dumpling type things. Nice. Which are really good. I'm very full. I don't think I'm going to eat the rest of the day. Yeah. Ramen tends to do that. Mm-hmm. Until you fully digest it and then you're starving. Yep. Because <laughs> all the noodles are finally gone. All the carbs have left my body. All the carbs are gone. All right. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We're on Facebook at yieldcrimepodcast. We're on YouTube. If you'd like to send us something in the mail, you can mail us at yieldcrimepodcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. Beer Valentine. Beer Valentine. Wouldn't that be nice? Aww. That'd be be so nice. Valentine. Must be nice. <laughs> you can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. You can send us your questions, story ideas, animated gifts. Mm-hmm. A great way to support the show if you want to help us out but can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, and you can now leave ratings on Spotify. Nice. This review comes from Apple Podcasts. And it's from P. Leonard 86 from Great Britain. And they say, a wonderful discovery. Five stars. What a fantastic podcast. Lindsay and Madison make for very compelling hosts who are very easy to listen to. And it's clear that they do an enormous amount of homework on their subjects. I love podcasts that teach me things I never knew before. And this is one that does just that. I also just finished episode 11, which I probably shouldn't have listened to at night as I am a big scaredy cat. Oh, no. Compelling, fun, informative, and a fantastic addition to your podcast playlist if you feel it's getting a little old. Aw, clever. Thank you. Thank you. Now I gotta know what we did for episode 11. Must have been some sort of paranormal story. That are like something super murdery. Let me see, let me see. What did we do? It's been so long. I know. Oh, that was the Back Alley Hauntings episode Uh, from Team Land Alley. Yeah. That would have been a creepy one. It would. Remember it had the, the priest that looked like Severus Snape? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Good times.
If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so for with a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee. You can also check out our Patreon and join for as low as a dollar a month to get early ad-free access to our content. You can also rep our merch. Right now, we are on both Tee Public and Redbubble. At some point, I'll get us all over at Redbubble. It just takes a long time to migrate everything over. Yeah, I bet. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.